Ah, <laughs> yes, it is the summertime. So you know what that means? It is our summertime soapbox special. Yeah. So we got a bunch of soapboxes for y'all to enjoy some compilations from previous episodes. So enjoy the summer. We're taking a break for this summer. So sit back, relax, and we'll see you on the other side. Enjoy your summer, people. That was Keep Your Head Up by Tupac Shakur. Gone so soon. We miss you, Pac, every day. Passed way back in the mid-90s. Man, back when the East and West Coast had all that beef, man. But, you know, we got to move on. Life goes on. Um, But that was a great song. He was very uh, bipolar (laughs) uh, in his his music. You will have a song, Keep Your Head Up, and next thing you know, you got to hit him up. I mean, goodness, <laughs> but Tupac, rest in peace. And Afini Shakur, also rest in peace, his mother. She was great as a Black Panther as well. What it is, what it is to be Black person in America. And it seems like this is a topic, reoccurring theme. Uh, might have to make a whole nother show just about this. Uh, but it, it continues because social media um, it's, it's a gift and a curse. It's, it's more devilish than it is good. There's so much ignorance and so much negativity that spews on there. And um, it comes down to a point to where with all these things in front of their faces, how can you not see that there is systemic, systemic racism? And the sheer fact that you have so many people who look a certain way, who continuously say that it does not exist, that it does not exist. To, to even the contrary, they will believe that not only does it not exist, that there's things in place that that favor minorities. They'll say stuff like um, um, affirmative action. Oh, look at that. How'd you get to college? They used to tell me, oh, you get here, are you on the, you're on the team? And you're on the basketball team. So the teachers would give me C's and without even looking at my papers, thinking I just wanted to pass it, make my grade for the team. Didn't even look. And I checked it because I had a student in the class one time in my English class, my freshman year. And we wrote virtually the same paper. I didn't copy off of them. They were asking for my help. <laughs> so I said, I, I did a test because I kept getting C's no matter what I did. I went I went to the, the, the um, they had a center at, at below one of the, in the, in the basements of one of the uh, buildings. It was to help you write better, to, to help you with your, your writing. And I went to get all the top advice from upperclassmen. I had a paper that should have easily been at worst at A minus, at worst. And um, another student said, can I borrow it? And I was like, no, I don't want to get in trouble. They said, trust me, don't worry about it. And I said, okay, said, if anything happens, I'll, I'll fess up. I said, okay, cool. So this one, I noticed it. the teacher still gave me a C, like straight up, no minus. They used to get minuses and pluses back then, I'm old, just a C. And they used to get letter grades back then. That's how old I am. I think now they do numbers, but they gave me a C. And the same student got an A minus. Same, virtually the same paper, got an A minus, white student. And I didn't tell the teacher that, you know, we had the same paper. I said, but how do I keep getting C's? And I forgot the exact conversation, but pretty much uh, um, she made a comment about the team because I was dressed in sweatsuits all the time because they were comfortable and I'm tall, 6'3". So she assumed I was a student athlete, didn't even look at my papers because I'm a black man on a predominantly white campus and I'm tall and I'm, you know, strong. I, I used to play sports, but you should not assume. You should give me grades based on my merit, based on my work, instead of assuming that I'm not, like I'm not <laughs> intellectually inclined. <laughs> and not to say that's systemic racism, it just lets you know that racism exists and prejudices do exist in our society. And to go a little bit deeper into this, because there's some there's a lot of people that are just more well versed and more educated than me. Go ahead and take a listen to this.
My view is that no Republican should be allowed to deny the existence of systemic racism without first being asked to define systemic racism. And for those at home who want a refresher, it's defined quite well, quite aptly by the Cambridge Dictionary, sorry Oxford, as the policies and practices that exist throughout a whole society or organization and that result in and support a continued unfair advantage to some people and unfair or harmful treatment of others based on race. So, the US doesn't fit that definition, really? This is a country in which black people continue to be underrepresented in elected positions at all levels. Just three black senators, including Tim Scott, out of 100, and just 11 black senators total in American history, out of almost 2,000. Zero black governors today, and just four in all of American history. Only one black president out of 45. This is a country in which black people have higher unemployment rates, higher poverty rates, lower average incomes, and lower home ownership rates than white people, in which black people are more likely than white people to face discrimination in the workplace or have loan applications approved. A country in which the median white household has eight times the wealth of a median black household. A country in which black Americans are more likely than white Americans to be arrested. Once arrested, they are more likely to be convicted, and once convicted, they are more likely to face stiff sentences. A country in which black drivers are more likely to be stopped and searched than white drivers. In which black people are three times more likely than white people to be killed by the police. A country in which black people have been overrepresented on death rows, and the killers of black people are less likely to face the death penalty than people who kill white people. A country in which, even before the pandemic, black Americans were one and a half times as likely as white Americans to lack health insurance, and had a life expectancy three and a half years shorter than their white counterparts. A country in which last year, during the pandemic, black Americans were a third more likely to die from COVID-19 than white Americans. What do we call this, if not systemic racism, institutionalized discrimination, and inequality? Now, that was Madir Hassan from MC, uh, MSNBC. And these are all factual stuff. It's not things that are made up. You can easily Google this information. It's all there in front of you, but you choose not to see it. You choose not to understand or believe it. And the reason why people keep pushing for this because it is the, 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 the idea of America. It is the idea of this trying to be utopian place where people could come for a better life, for a chance at a better life. But you could truly never get there until you bow down to the king or bow down to the master. And everyone else is systemically set up to fail. And it's not really just everyone because pe people could come from other countries. People say like, okay, well, like my, for me, for instance, my parents, are, I'm first generation, parents are from West Africa. Even people in other countries are to believe that the black and brown, really the black people here are inferior and that they're lazy and, 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 and that they just keep killing each other, whatever, not understanding that it's systemically set up. And not until we're here for an entire generation can we actually see it. Because when the nation looks at us, they don't see someone from Africa. They see another nigga. And then you get treated as such. You get to see that. But back into the point of foreigners, they come over here and they're able to build something. Because they're not here built under the systemic racism that was there before them to put them in the position that they're in. They're coming from higher education. That's another thing. The education here in the United States is subpar. If you pay attention, ask your friends who come from either some places in Asia or somewhere overseas, whereas Europe, Africa, or Asia, they come to this country and guess what? They're put in a higher grade. So let's just let's just back it up. Say, for instance, they are 13 years old and they come from, come to this country. You are most likely, even back in my day, now they have something called TK. That's a whole nother thing to where my daughter's seven, but she's in the first grade. Back when I was growing up, I was in the second grade. Even more things that held our, held our children back. Let's just back it up though. Back in our day, back in the 80s, if you were 13, you're usually in the seventh grade, right? I have family and friends who came from Asia and Africa who were in the 10th grade or even the 11th grade because the education overseas is better. But why is that? How could be this greatest country in the world but when you go to the doctor's office, it, they even have a saying, if your doctor is white, <laughs> then you might not have the best doctor because in, in the eyes of the world is that you didn't become a doctor by being the top of your class. 
because the, all the best doctors are Asian or Indian, which is Indians are from Asia. But you know what I mean? That, that's usually who the best doctors are. Why is that? Because in this country, they don't want you to know. They're producing a bunch of workers and criminals who are also workers working for free. Remember the 13th Amendment. They also don't want to teach you the truth about the history of this nation. Because by knowing your history, and it's not just black people, everyone, by knowing your history, then you can know how far we need to go. By knowing where you travel, you can then know the journey ahead. But if you continue to go on this endless loop of these fallacies of your history, we are doomed to repeat it. My father used to tell me, learn from the mistakes of others for you will not live long enough to correct your own. So until we know our history and, and the way that it is, then you will truly not know how to make this the country that it was meant to be. And yes, I know it was made for by white men. It was it was made to be successful by white men. But we're, we, if we change that and make it to where it's successful for all, where people of all colors and 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 uh, religious backgrounds and sexes can get equal opportunity to be great, as we see it in our sports, and we see how people always in a position of power all look the same. When you have people in those board meetings making decisions for different commercials and you're like how did you miss this this is totally sexist this is totally racist this is totally <laughs> because they're, they're you're not conscious of the things you're doing because you're using things for one scope this can never truly be the country's meant out to be until we focus on the things that are important and our education system is one of them my parents come to this country. Those who come to this country seeking the American dream are true patriots. And the fact that they believe in something, the idea of what the greatness of this country could be. They sit here, pull themselves up on their bootstraps, as you like to say, attain the education, work hard to get their kids through school, work hard to, uh, to, to, to own land from the bottom to nothing. A lot of these people in one generation can build almost can build generational wealth within two generations many of my brothers my hispanic brothers and sisters are able to build generational wealth with very little advantages putting their kids through the public school system but using the ideals they learned the hard work and ethics they learned back from where they came from where the people the indigenous people here the the, the people who descended from slaves have things set up against them from the jump you have to acknowledge it you have to know that it's there and you have to do better as a people if you truly, truly want this to be the nation of the free. Until next time. We do not own the rights to this music.
Turner sisters gave an interview to Variety, where they talked about their lives and their business strategies. But one clip that's gone viral has rubbed many people the wrong way. Kim Kardashian has sparked outrage among some people after offering women career advice during a recent interview with Variety magazine. Here's what she said. I have the best advice for women in business. Get your ass up and work. It seems like nobody wants to work these days. You That's have to, so true. You have to surround yeah. yourself with people that want to work. No toxic work environments and show up and do the work. Okay, okay. Okay, I know, I know a lot of people are pissed off at Kim, I know. But if I'm being perfectly honest, I can see this thing from both sides. I honestly can. Like, I can see it from, from Kim's side. I can see it from Kim's side, you know? She's like, you guys think I just take a few pictures and I go to a few events and then suddenly I'm rich and famous and you think it's easy, but it's not easy. And I understand that, I understand that. Kim does a lot of work. She grinds all the time. She's a shrewd businesswoman and she's a mom to Kanye and the kids. But, but part of this idea that people have of Kim is Kim's fault. I mean, think about it, for decades, the thing that she's sold is not work. Yeah, in fact, she works really hard to look like she's not working hard. Every photo on Instagram, she's either on a beach or in a pool or in a hot tub. Basically, any relaxing body of water, she's there, you know? So I get why people have the idea that she doesn't work because you don't see it. You know, I mean, I mean, maybe Kim should put that stuff on Instagram, you know, put up photos of late night meetings, constant calls on product design. I mean, you can still do it in a bikini if you want, but the point is, you know, people should see more of the work. They'd understand. Like, take The Rock. Here's an example. Look at The Rock, right? Because of his social media, I know what it takes to become The Rock. I know if I'm gonna try to become like him, I've gotta wake up at 4 a.m. every day, lift every weight in the gym, and try not to laugh every time I have to work with Kevin Hart. I mean, how can you not? He's like the, <laughs> he's a human, but he's like the size of like a, a little dog. Kevin, I can't even. <laughs> Kevin, he's like, he's in my pocket right now. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but here's the thing that maybe Kim Kardashian doesn't understand. It can come off as extremely condescending to tell women that the reason they're not successful is because they're too lazy to get off their asses and actually work. Because yes, Kim Kardashian works hard, but you know who else works hard? Most women. But what their asses don't have is Kim's luck to be born into a rich family with a famous lawyer parent and an even more famous Olympian step-parent. And all the access and the connections that that brings you. Think about it, if you're lucky, if you're lucky to have that, then yeah, there's a good chance that your hard work is gonna make you successful. But don't forget how much luck has to do with that success. Anyone who says, just work hard and things will work out, those people are forgetting a major component known as luck. A lot of people work hard and they're still broke. In fact, a lot of the time, the broker you are, the harder you probably work. Yeah, my grandmother worked 10 times harder than me, but I'm bowling circles around that woman. Yeah, you hear that, Gogo? <laughs> you can't touch me. You can't touch me. Hey y'all, what's up? It's Friday, so I'ma keep it black. But I'ma keep it brief. Kimberly Noel, Kardashian soon to be not West. I've been waiting to get on your ass. So the day after International Women's Day, Kim and her family were asked what advice they would give to women in business. Now, why would somebody go and do that? And you know, this girl, never missing an opportunity to be tone deaf, called off and said, I have the best advice for women in business. Oh no. Get off your ass and work. It seems like nobody wants to work anymore. No, she didn't. Let me stop you right there. Kim, your experience with work has been constructed within a padded box of access and privilege. How could you possibly have advice for women in business, let alone the best, when your experience is safeguarded from essentially all elements of the real world, including the work-related stresses for women in business, in any tax bracket that's lower than yours? Not to mention shielded from the systemic injustices, racialized stressors, obstacles, and microaggressions facing the women that you have emulated to achieve your success. Like, what are we talking about, Kimberly Ann? She then proceeds to say, you need to have a positive working environment where everybody loves what they do because you only have one life. <laughs> Girl! And no toxic work environment. Do you hear yourself, lady? Did you just say YOLO? Well, I'm sorry, the rest of us are unable to exercise that amount of privilege on a regular working basis. Madam, very few people have the option to work in a career that they love, much less be able to set standards to not have to work in toxic working environments. Let us also discuss your perception of work. You may be the hardest working person in your family. Well, besides Chris, because 
Bravo, damn it. <laughs> but no sis, we do not have the same 24 hours in a day. Not only would your definition of work never translate to the labor everyday people, especially since your workers have to exert, but your work does not come with the same exhaustive conditions that come with people in those positions. Much less the people that are trying to work in entrepreneurship on the side to get themselves out of those positions. So while you may be equating one of your sisters being lazy for a couple days to nobody wanting to work, statements like that are so insensitive to people whose 24 hours is actually shorter than yours because they experience much more physical, mental, and emotional exhaustion than you do on a daily basis cut that shit out and right after she stops talking chloe says if you're the smartest person in that room get out the room well the same goes for self-awareness sweets all y'all need to find different rooms because that's what's also so confusing your world of business your level of success has literally been predicated on your ability to steal culture and usurp the utilization of black beauty standards in the beauty industry which is directly correlated to the amount of black people that surround you because they can also get it but right now we're talking about you so how do you manage to spend significant time with the black men you and your whole family have put in the sunken place. The black women you and your family have brought around to excuse your appropriation and then hang them out to drive when you're done learning their ways. The black babies y'all continue to collect like Grammys and the prison reform efforts you make specifically for black people and somehow continue to make completely dense, culturally insensitive and classist statements like this. And you ain't never not once apologized, sistering, cause she not sorry. Like what are you even talking about? Embracing your inner black woman? You don't have one of those. Leave us alone. You yourself have built a legacy on black fishing. Your whole family is also guilty in some shape or form, but we just don't have enough teeth for all of that. All of you selectively collecting snippets of blackness to add onto your whiteness to achieve the ideal look, which is inherently anti-black. The bronzer that might as well be my foundation color. <laughs> and is the proportions of lips and hips all of y'all got from the doctor's office. The high profile and completely black partners you seem to get that are willing to buy into the faux mixed race reality you have constructed, all to perpetuate a form of white supremacy that is only revealed just every time you open your mouth. And don't give me prison reform or some sort of restitution because it's still giving let me give myself a platform for saving black men so I can look good and maybe they'll give me a pass as I continue to bottle blackness and sell it. It's giving colonization but making Mother Teresa. <laughs> Keep it. Are you tired of spending your entire weekend at dealerships only to feel as if you got a raw deal? No! Don't you hate all the back and forth and haggling for countless hours? Imagine this. While you're at work or having dinner or just enjoying life, the people at Pure Diamond Auto are working a great deal on your behalf. With Pure Diamond Auto, they have a team of former sales and finance managers who know all the tricks of the trade. Call 562 PDA 7888 today for a free consultation. That's 562-732-7888. What can I say? I love PDA. All right, you already know what time it is. It's my favorite part of the show. It's a happy birthday, so let's go. And we're starting off with Benedict Cumberbatch. That's Dr. Strange. Dr. Strange turns 47 this week. Lamarcus Aldridge, NBA player. Lamarcus Aldridge turns 38 this week. And Bree Easy, Breezy turns 33 this week. She is from All-American and the Empire. Riley Curry, that's the baby girl middle child of the Curry clan. She turns 11 this week. And John Jones, turns, that's Bone Jones from MMA, turns 36 this week. NBA Hall of Famer Ray Allen turns 47 this week. And the last Maharaja, Jinder Mahal from the WWE, turns 37. Omar Epps turns 49 this week. And from the NBA, Steve Adams turns 30. Um, that's Jackie Robinson's wife, Rachel Robinson, turns 101 this week. And Maria Maria Carla Santana turns 75 this week. And for Grayson Anatomy, Sandra O oh turns 51. DJ Keontae Jordan from the NBA turns 34 this week. And Brandon Roy from the NBA as well turns 38. Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons, who just got traded from the 76 to the Nets. Ben Simmons turns 26 this week. And Selena Gomez turns 30. He's just your sexy boy. Sean Michaels from the WWE Hall of Fame turns 57 this week. Prince George. Prince George. That's Prince Williams and Kate Hudson's little son. Prince George turns 9 this week. Ezekiel Elliott turns 26. And the mailman, Carl Malone, turns 59. David Spade turns 58 this week. And um, 
Gary Payton, the glove, turns 54. The last style bender, Israel Aldecina, turns 33 this week. And nobody, Pete Sweat, turns 61 this week. The goblin from Spider-Man, William Defoe, turns 67 this week. And Danny Glover, getting too old for this shit, turns 76. Mia Riley, that's, that is um, Teddy Riley's daughter. Mia Riley turns 33 this week. And John Leguizamo turns 58. Harry Potter himself, Daniel Radcliffe, turns 33 this week. And Slash turns 57. Marlon Wayans, funny man, Marlon Wayans turns 50 this week. And Willie Harrison turns 61. From Destiny's Child, Michelle Williams turns 43 this week. And finally, Monica Lewinsky turns 49. We have some honorable mentions. Pop Smoke, up and coming, big time hit rapper Pop Smoke. Passed away 2022, was fatally killed. Would have been 23 this week. And from OxyClean, the, 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 the spokesman for OxyClean, Billy Mays, passed away 2009, would have been 64 this week. And from Andy Griffith and Three's Company, Don Knotts, passed away 2006, would have been 98 this week. And the legendary host of Jeopardy, Alex Trebek, passed away with his long battle of cancer back in 2020. Would have been 82 this week. And finally, one of my favorite comedians and actors who lost his bout with mental health, Robin Williams, passed away 2014. Would have been 71 this week. But that's all the birthdays we have this week, guys. Now back to our show. And the time come for you to be your own man and take on the world, and you did. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame, like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that, and that ain't you. You're better than that. Growing up, I was the youngest until seven years and my brother came along, but <clears throat> I used to get bullied in school. I was a small kid. All the gangs would try to beat me up and what have you, and my sister would have to come and defend for me. She had to come fight for me. To where they used to call me Little Melita. They called me Little Melita because of the fact that, you know, she was tall and athletic and she had to come and pretty much fight my battles for me so i just i generated this kind of a complex uh, they call it napoleon complex a short man's complex but then years later i got taller and taller and taller uh we hit the weight so i could get stronger and stronger early on i, I gravitated to sports because um i don't know so many things stressed me out even as a young age uh, rather i was getting bullied by even my neighborhood friends so that's how I learned how to shoot a jump shot because when I went to the lane, they would just knock me down. They would just tackle you sometimes too. They used to call it nigga ball or, or jungle ball. And I was small and I didn't want to get hurt. So I learned how to shoot. One day I, I won the game uh, down the street with my friends, um, Philip and Brian. And I won for the first time ever. Can't remember my age. I was probably 10, 11. And they took vines off the tree and whipped me all the way home. And I cried. My sister said, you got to go out there and fight this one yourself. And I was too afraid. But I let that drive me. That this could never happen again. So I watched videos to learn how to fight. My dad put me in different courses to learn how to fight. And um, 
I got better and better at it. I started beating up people my age first. And um, I never lost a fight again. I got jumped a couple of times, but I never lost a fight. I've even had times I beat up two guys at once. That's just became my thing. I got the broken knuckles and the and the cuts of my knuckles to show for it. Over the years, that was my thing. I've always had this complex. Always wanted to compete. Always wanted to be the best. I remember years later, we're at the park. I'm bigger now. Brian moved away. He came back. Um, he's slim. He used to be chubby as a kid. He's slim. And I'm muscular, but still slim myself. And I'm about 16. So he's about 18. We're at the park hooping. He had a big afro in his head, right? Um, I got my buddies there. We hooping. By this time, I'm Big Mike. Even though I'm not that big, I'm just strong. I was just strong. I said, my dad bought me a weight set in the back. I just hit the weights almost every day. But I was still slim. And, um, you know, he started bullying, doing bully ball like we were kids. And he scored a ball on me. He said, all right, nigga, check up. All right. And I just threw the ball up. I just laughed, threw the ball up, and he grazed his afro, right? And he turned around. You threw that ball at me? I said, no, man, you tripping, man. No, I just threw the ball up. I'm giggling. I'm not even tripping, right? I haven't seen him in years. And then he pushes me. I said, hey, chill. Then he hits me. Bing. I'm like, and all the homies knew. They're like, ooh. And I, <laughs> my face didn't move. My head just went down. I looked up at him with this stare. I couldn't see my face, but my boys retold the story to me. And I charged him. I started saying all types of epithets, all different things. I don't want to talk like that right now, but that's kind of where my mind was back then. And he, he retreated and they all had to hold me back. And I was just so heated to where he sat out the next game. I got the ball and I'm like, check up. And I'm just dunking on people. We have, I don't know if you remember those park benches. They were like all made out of metal, right? It was like the two big benches in the seat and it was made out of metal. I flipped that bad boy over. I'm not making this up. Check the sources. Ask the homies. Some of the homies may be listening to this. They'd be like, damn, I remember that. At Delamo Park in Carson. And I was just dunking on cats. That's the day I wolfed out. And that inner beast just came out. And it was always there. It never really goes away. And I moved away from a lot of the drama so I didn't have to keep dealing with this. Uh, my mom always thought I was going to get killed because of my temper. And um, that even carried over one time into high school basketball. And I got kicked off the team off of an allegation. And it deterred my uh, entire future because basketball was my first love. And one day when I went to school in college, I had a girlfriend. She was on a um, basketball team, females team. She worked out with me all summer to make sure I could make it my sophomore year to walk on. And at the last moment, I just quit. And I always thought, what if I just didn't quit? There's many of us who go through life and we have things that happen to us and it's just easier to just say, I'm just gonna quit. We're afraid of what's on the other side. We're afraid of what's on the other side of, and when you push through and you keep chipping away and chipping away, that things keep happening to knock you down and knock you down. We just say, you know what, screw this, man. I'm gonna go do something else. Rather it's a job, rather it's a relationship, whatever it is. Those of you who are entrepreneurs, which means you're going into business for yourself. It's so funny, when you say the word entrepreneur, all people label you as is somebody who's unemployed. Like somehow they glorify you working for somebody else more than it is building your own wealth, building your own business, something you can pass down to your children. But that's just the community we live in. You can't even say the word entrepreneur. Say, oh, I own a business. I'm, I'm the whatever of this and that. But don't let it deter you. Everyone who starts a business fails in the first year to three years. That's just the nature of it because you're figuring it out. You're taking your losses. Even the government has it set up that way. They, they don't expect you to, to turn over profits in the first three years. They don't start even really looking at you until you stay in a business for three years because most businesses fail and and go away within the first six months to a year especially the food business so when i see people like all flavors no grease afng out here 
in LA streets on the food trucks, multiple trucks down, making those great quesadillas and tacos. Respect to the brother. And he's doing big things. He did not quit. When I see all these different comedians, I see my girl Kamira Wright, White, on the All These Hoes podcast. She's a comedian, worked the circuit for years. And now she's blowing up on her podcast. Much love and respect to Kamira White. People out here grinding. I remember Kevin Hart back in 2001 at Miss Mixed Nuts. Grinding. When he was just dating his former wife. Before the kids. Before the money. Before Soul Plane. And you cannot stop seeing him. He is everywhere. You know why? Because he's hungry. He's hungry. Like if you go listen to a, 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 a motivational speech by Les Brown, he has one, Google it. It's called Hungry. Hungry by Les Brown. Listen to that. It will tell you what it would take to push you through those things that happen that's going to hold you back. Those things that will happen that will knock you down. But you cannot let it keep you there. You're going to get knocked down, and that's okay. That's okay. You're not judged by being knocked down. You're judged by how you recover from it. I got so many customers. I call them friends now. So many friends and associates who are entrepreneurs, who are building businesses, building generational wealth, making fifty, sixty, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 a month. And they started with nothing. I have a client. When I first met her, she was making a, a few thousand, maybe four or $5,000 a month, right? Sold her an Infinity FX. Years later, she's like, hey, I want a G-Wagon. I said, Whoa. excuse me, how, wait, what's going on? She could afford the brand new model for 200,000, but the banks wouldn't give her the loan. She put 40 racks down to get her a pre-owned model that was over 100, 100 grand. Now she's buying a new house. After she buys a house, she's buying two more cars, a new G-Wagon. Actually, she's kind of thinking about getting the Bentley truck. Excuse me, what? 300,000, okay, that's what we doing? That's what we doing. These people inspire me. They should inspire you. The people I see doing this on this level in my circle, most of them are black women. That's why I love y'all, y'all so strong. Where are my black men? Y'all think y'all just gotta go out there and get you a nice paying job with benefits because you gotta make sure she's secure. Listen, many of us aren't even graduating college universities. What kind of jobs can we get? And I understand that. Find you a grind, find you a hustle. Even if you've worked for the man, if you're a fireman or police officer, you got a lot of downtime. Use that money to build you something. Get you somewhere or invest in someone else's dream and, and, and you go ahead and benefit and get some passive income from that. Don't let these things hold you back. Take that loss. If you got to come back and listen to this again to get remotivated, go back to Les Brown and some other motivational speakers to get you motivated to keep you on your grind. Like Nipsey said, the marathon continues. Are you gonna get in the race? Are you going to be left behind? Until next time. We do not own the rights to this music. Where do we do for ya? Bulldog and hoes like
pound hoggers Boy, you sound the silly thing My room is sitting pretty Doing donuts Why you suckers like them suckers around titties Damn, we the committee Gonna burn it down But us gonna bust you in the mouth With the chorus now Say, ah Anyway, but anyhow, I went and died, went on out and bought it, cause I thought it would be jamming, but examine all the flaws, get lost, get off it, sand and it's costly, but that's all shit, wrote and I hope I never have to float in that boat, up shit's creek, it's sweet, it's the last quote that I wanna hear when I'm going down, when all said and done and we got a new Joe in town, when the record player get to skipping and slowing down, all y'all can say is them niggas earn their crown, but until then... about the time where I get on my soapbox and I come to you with uh, you know thoughts on things my take on things societal or um, political or just rational or anything of that fact or anything of that nature something poignant that you can say ooh that was profound um, something you can take with you sometimes informational uh, something sometimes just motivational. This time, maybe not so much. I'm just going to sit here and talk as if it's a sounding board. As I think about life and uh, how it could be a roller coaster, up and down. As I think back to. Um, my life you know they say right before you die you uh you get a flash of your life and um think about the different trials that you went through um the ups and downs the twists and turns the highs the lows and you just try to reflect on the good times you try but for me i always have a hard time doing that i can always reflect on the downtime and what I could have done differently. And I like to tell myself that I don't live with regret. 
but then I've come to a point now realization as I'm well into my 40s and I look back and I just see so many regrets so many things I wish I would have done differently it just seems like you know as much as I want to tell people even my own daughter you gotta see the cup half full not half empty but all I could do is look back at the things that um should have corrected or I could have done differently and the reason why I don't want to live with regrets because by living with regrets you're saying that you wish things were different in your current life and if you believe in a butterfly effect you know that one action can create a, a cataclysmic difference and changes in other actions uh, it would be a calamity of things that would completely change that your future your present would not be your present and you can alter things I, I used to watch the show Flash and he started running so fast he would run into the future and then he learned how to run into the past. And going back to correct something in his past, now change something that he actually loved in his present. So that's what makes it difficult for me. Because the thing in my life that I hold most dear to me, the most precious entity is my daughter. So if I'm saying stuff like, I wish my past was different, would my daughter be here? Would she be the same person? What would, what would change? And would it change for the better? See, that's the tricky part. And then let's just say you make different decisions, different moves. Now you're better off financially. I could go back to the movie uh, Back to the Future where um, Biff changed his life, right? And he changed his life and now he's a multi-billionaire and now his, now his dad, um, Marty's father, is killed and the siblings are all jacked up in prison and psych wards or whatever because if he made an alteration and but his present before Biff was just like his his every time he made went back in history something changed where his life changed for the better or for the worse and that's the part that makes it complicated for me is if I did this if I did that because I come to grips and I realize that um continuously lost I've never been the champion never the elite star in any aspect not to my knowledge if I won something to me it would seem to be very minuscule and it sucks when you turn around in life you're looking like dude I keep losing even when I won I lost and that's something that hurts and it's like when do I get my chance to be on top of the mountain by myself and say I achieved this how many times that I quit when I should have just kept pushing on and if that's the case what does that say about me and will I give that to my daughter will I fix that so she could be better is it too late for me to become a champion is it too late for me to be on top of the mountain do I quit or do I keep pushing through where would I get the energy? Where would I get the force? Where would I get the determination from when I've never seen myself actually do it? Video games don't count. What have you done? Getting married doesn't count. Any idiot can do that. Any idiot can have a child. Anybody can do that. When you leave this earth, what stamp are you leaving? What imprint have you made? Who did you affect? My favorite artist, if you haven't caught on by now, if you listen to enough episodes, I, no artist has been featured more than Tupac Shakur. Bipolar, I'm sure, just like myself. You could tell by his music, but he was very profound. He had something to say. This man lived to be, what, 25? In 25 years, I believe he did most of his artistry in six of those years. So in six years, this man created hundreds of tracks. Many are hits, platinum, platinum time over diamond records. And he said in one of his rhymes, one of his interviews, he said, he said, I may not change the world, but I believe that what I say may spark the mind that does. So even if I don't change the world, I hope that through my child, or anyone else that I've touched that they do because who know how much longer we have so I'll keep pushing 
I'll keep trying. And hopefully one day I can see myself on top of the mountain. Or maybe I'll be just like Moses and say, I may not make it to the mountaintop, but I know that you will. And for that, I am thankful. Until next time. Well, that's it this week, guys, for our summertime soapbox special. Now go out there and enjoy that nice, nice weather out there in this summertime. And we'll see y'all next time. Enjoy your summer, people.